Well, good evening, everybody. It's Chris here from the Whistle Stop Cafe in Mira, Alberta. And happy Friday. It is a very, very happy Friday because uh, we have a special guest on the Chris Sands Carry Show. That means Chris without Carry Show because Carrie's busy doing karaoke in Chestermere at uh, Dockside Bar. So if you're in the area and you want to uh, have some fun tonight, head down there and say hi to Carrie and maybe buy him a root beer for me. He loves it when people buy him drinks with no booze in it. It makes him really, really happy. So uh, yeah, go and say hi to him if you can. Anyway, uh, tonight's episode of the Chris Sands Carry Show, uh, we have a special guest on and that is Mr. Leighton Gray. Now Leighton is a very good lawyer. You might have seen some of his stuff in the news. Uh, he's cross-examined Dina Hinshaw. Um, he's been in the middle of the, the freedom conversation for, well, I mean, as far as long as this you know, the COVID thing has been going on. And uh, he, he's done some pretty interesting things. And he's always got something really interesting to say. And he's got a, uh, a way of looking at things and explaining things that I'm just not capable of. So the reason I wanted to have him on the show tonight is because Recently, you may have, actually, there's a few reasons, but the, the biggest one is recently you may have heard some comments from the federal government about how uh, they, they're, they're, they're talking about taking over resources from the provinces. Now, not in those exact words, but that's kind of the, the, the gist of it. Uh, and in this conversation that they, they had uh, last week, I guess, they mentioned something else that really caught my attention. And that was uh, that the commitments Canada has made under UNDRIP are not moving fast enough and they need to be accelerated. Now, for those of you who don't know, UNDRIP is the uh, United Nations Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous People. And part of that says that, uh, you know, to make a long story short, any country or area that has taken land from any Indigenous folks should be giving it back. So basically, um, everybody has to give up everything to everyone else for this idea of truth and reconciliation. Anyway, I don't understand a lot of that stuff, but I know what they're doing isn't right. Um, I've seen how ideas like this can be used by governments to strip things from people with the illusion that they're doing something good and virtuous. But the reality is, uh, they never intended it to be like that, and it was always about control. Interesting, right? Sometimes it's not about your health. It's always about control. Anyway, so I want to talk to Leighton about that and also about the lawsuit that he's filed against Pfizer for vaccine harms. So thank you very much, Leighton, for taking time out of your busy day uh, to have a chat with us on the Chris Sands Carry Show. My pleasure. Uh, before we get going, I, I have a question for you. Yes. I was reading in the news about a recent court appearance you had with mm -hmm. your intrepid legal team led by Chad Williamson. Something about over a thousand pages of emails that Alberta Health Services held back from you and that your lawyers had to go to court and ask for additional disclosure because Alberta Health Services is actually uh, had buried these and didn't make them part of your disclosure so that you could make full answer in defense and uh, yeah. and lo and behold you guys were right so bravo bravo to chad williamson and so that's great yeah and you know this is something that i i have felt through this whole thing i've always felt like 
the government and AHS and these pseudo-governmental organizations are just trying to steamroll me and bulldoze me into a corner so that I submit and so I comply. I felt like that. And now we know that this is true. They were actually trying to do that. So while being cross-examined, uh, the health inspector who was responsible for my area, uh, Ian, he, he, he was asked, well, is there documentation and emails and, and memorandum and stuff like that regarding Christopher Scott and the most stuff that you haven't turned over to the Crown Prosecutor or us? And he said, well, yeah, there is. And, and Chad's like, well, don't you think you should have turned that over? I mean, this is part of the trial. This is part of the investigation. Yeah. Oh, we have oh. a right to disclosure. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, Ian was sweating and the judge ordered AHS to turn this over. They turned over over 700 pages of um, incredible of disclosure. And it, it shows exactly what we thought was happening in the first place. They were literally conspiring with other organizations to try and not just shut me down to protect people's health, but to, they were trying to destroy me, destroy my business because I was making them look stupid. And that's a quote. He's making us look stupid. So uh, we made our submissions. AHS. They were doing a pretty good job of that all by themselves. Yeah, they, they really, they really were. So AHS and uh, the RCMP lawyer and the attorney general's office made submissions regarding the disclosure. My lawyers made submissions and now, uh, Justice Glass is going to rule on that on May 9th. But uh, I just cannot believe what we're seeing. I can't believe what was in there. And uh, another thing that really got me is they mention how in an email, they're talking about how they're changing. Uh, what was the wording? How did that go? They're changing files to update with new information about COVID and, and things like this or yes. deleting or replacing information that's in the archives. And this struck me as odd because I don't think the government or any government organization is supposed to alter documents. I think they're supposed to update oh, moving forward. Right. But they, so, they did this they did this constantly. We found this out during the Ingram case. They did this constantly and still are. That doesn't it doesn't sit right with me. And I guess it's gonna be up to the courts to decide, but I'm glad that my lawyers were sharp enough to find this. Yeah, thing. it's a very, very important case. I, it's one of the ones I'm watching closely. Me too. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, no kidding. Uh, interestingly, I, I read another case recently um, from the Alberta Court of King's Bench. Um, and it was the first case that I've seen that actually found that Alberta Health Services is a government actor. This is important, yeah. and they've been resisting this. They they try to they try to imagine uh, themselves as something independent from the Alberta government. And the reason why it's really important is that if Alberta Health Services is a government actor, that means that the Charter of Rights and Freedoms is triggered; that their actions are subject to charter scrutiny. They've been trying to avoid that, but the court in that particular case looked at the degree of control that was exercised over Alberta Health Services by the Alberta government, especially by the Minister of Health. And so, I mean, it's always been pretty clear to me uh, that uh, that these guys were, were essentially, um, you know, health Nazis. Uh, They're weaponized by Verna Yu to be a sort of health Gestapo, a health police force. Um, and that most of the people like your friend Ian uh, are really people who have no background in law enforcement, no understanding of uh, proper procedure, of, of rights, proper methods of investigation and so this is why you see this uh these procedural uh, this procedural unfairness like that you are suffering from 
which is really, really key. Uh, you know, how can you make a proper, this is fundamental to our system, uh, that one of the, 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 the main charter rights um, and, and actually is, is the right to fair trial. It's enshrined under section uh, 11D of the charter, which says that uh, you have the right to, to part of implicit in having a fair trial is having full disclosure because uh, without full disclosure, how can you make a full answer in defense? And I understand that's precisely the argument that your lawyers made uh, mm -hmm. quite properly to the court and they were successful. So, you know, that's a victory for, you know, for justice. When I hear that, I'm going, wow, okay, this is starting to sound like maybe, maybe, maybe we're getting, we're actually, you know, justice is not dead in this country. It was certainly, uh, it was on life support for a while. And we're, we're going to see that, you know, uh, a really good friend of mine, he said it best. And actually, this is back in the 70s. Um, you might remember this quote. He said, I, what, regarding disclosure, I want it all. I want it all. I want it all. And I want it now. Yeah. That was my friend, Freddie, who said that. And uh, it still <laughs> rings true today. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yes. Yes. He was a wonderful so, singer. He would be great yeah. at karaoke with, with Carrie tonight. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, he was. That was amazing. I try and I try and copy his voice when I'm doing karaoke, but I usually really. I wow. get a bang up. you yeah. must be good. No, oh, yeah, usually I, I kill it. Yeah. Okay, so uh, enough about my stuff. Um, sure. As exciting as it is for me to be going through this and have the support I do, and and kind of have my eyes open as to the potential for the government to pummel the citizens for no reason. There's something else I wanted to talk about, and it's probably even more concerning than, uh, you know, my restaurant or anything. And that's the recent statements. Oh, pardon me. I got to back up for a second. Sure. Folks, for those of you that are watching, um, I, I really do my best to try and get some information out there that I think is really important. Uh, one of the reasons why I continue to do this, like I'm supposed to be working at the cafe right now, but Francisco, thank goodness, has taken over for me. But I took some what time great, off. To what a great game. Francisco. Yeah, yeah, he's got a yeah, he's got a he's got a great um that's a name that will bring the ladies, right? Too. Francisco. Francisco, yeah. <laughs> and that's how it's said. But anyway, uh what we're gonna talk about is arguably pretty important. Um if I was to talk about this on my own, I wouldn't be able to articulate the way Leighton's going to. I mean, the guy's got a brain the size of Saturn, mine's more like the size of Pluto. So when we talk about these things, he's gonna you add see the some, ring thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He, he's going to add some uh, some de depth and insight that I, I couldn't hope to. And what we're going to be talking about tonight is your future and the future of this country. What we're going to be talking about is the federal government's recent comments about provincial resources and how um, they might look at changing the relationship between Ottawa and the provinces in how we deal with our resources. In other words, we don't want you provinces to be uh, sovereign in the jurisdiction of your resources, we should do it because, you know, we should. And they went further and said, we might have to do this because of UNDRIP, because of the United Nations Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous People. The provinces aren't doing it fast enough and giving things back to the Indigenous folks. So we may need to step in and do it for you. Now, that really concerns me because in a, in a time when we're trying to be unified and, and all pursue some sort of prosperity, the divide this is going to cause between Indigenous folks, uh, Native folks, and non-Native folks is, it's going to be bad. 
unless we can call the federal government out and stop it. So um, please share this to your pages, share it all over the place, share it to people that don't like me so that they can watch and laugh when they can see my third chin. Um, but I really want to, I want as many people as possible to hear this and at least think about it. And if they think we're wrong, then they can comment about it and say we're wrong and this is why we're wrong and they can try and change our minds. But either way, please share this, uh, stay engaged in the comments, like it, share it, and uh, we'll get this out to as many people as we can. So without further ado, Leighton, I'm sure you've seen the comments uh, that were mm -hmm. made regarding provincial resources. What's your take on that? Do you want to run us through that? Sure. Um, I'm going to have to go back uh, a little bit and do a bit of a history lesson uh, for people. And unfortunately, this history is not taught in our schools anymore, which is a shame. But um, when you look around the world right now uh, and you see how, how the globe is carved up, we're still living in the era of the nation state. The nation state is something that grew up out of, uh, you know, the, the latter part of the, the 18th and the 19th centuries. When, when countries, you know, like uh, Britain and France and uh, Germany and others sort of grew up and they, they began to sort of vie for, uh, you know, world domination. And they began to colonize different parts of the world, different continents that were largely undiscovered, at least to to the European peoples who were uh, were more much more technologically advanced and militarily advanced than any other peoples in the world. And so they began to to move into places like the Orient, into China, uh, into Africa and, of course, North America. So when you think of Canada, Canada, Canada fundamentally um is a a marriage now of two cultures french and english however it's important to remember and the people of quebec don't like us to say this out loud that the, the that the quebecers are a conquered people in 1763 there was something called the royal proclamation and that followed the the defeat and the surrender of france so that uh great britain was the uh the, the essentially according to the the, the, the rule of conquest, uh, which has existed throughout history and, and uh, existed then and, and frankly still exists now, uh, all, of, all of the land that we know as Canada uh, belonged to Great Britain. The Indigenous peoples were not part of the foundation of Canada. Uh, they were not part of any, any of, the, of that political development. Um, the, their, their, their laws were not part of that. Uh, and so it's important to remember that when we talk about the Constitution, um, they, there was never an historical, any sort of historical recognition, really, that all of North America belonged to Indigenous peoples. In fact, uh, that assertion is, is profoundly absurd because most of the continent was uninhabited and the Indigenous peoples had no real concept of land ownership as we understand it. It's also important to remember that when the, the European peoples arrived in North America, that the indigenous peoples here were all between three and 6,000 years behind technologically. They did, not, they did not even have the wheel on this continent at that time. And so, uh, you know, the, this modern concept of, um, you know, the, the English, English Canada or French Canada being a, a, a culture that's on the same level with indigenous peoples really doesn't stack up to to scrutiny so 
that's a bit of a of, of background, but it explains a lot about about the way Canada is divided up. And the reality for Indigenous peoples, and I said, and as I said, when I say this, I upset a lot of people. Um, the lands that Indigenous peoples uh, that they occupied when when there was expansion in Canada out west, they were ceded to the Crown of Canada. They were ceded peacefully, okay, but those treaties were signed according to the law of conquest. And it's also important to remember that the Indigenous peoples who lived here also lived according to the law of conquest. And we know that because every tribe that has ever existed from the dawn of time of human beings has lived according to the law of conquest. So the, the Indigenous peoples were, were conquered too. They were not conquered militarily as they were in the United States. Some people might know about the Jacksonian Indian Wars, where many, many uh, Native tribes were actually went to war with the U.S. state. Famously, people you know like the Apache and the Navajo. But we didn't have those kind of wars in, in Canada. But the lands were ceded to the crown. So what we're doing right now, what's happening, is we're looking back through the lens of history and we're applying this, these, this, these woke glasses to what actually happened in, in, historically in Canada. And, and it's a lie. But the question is, why is it happening? Well, it ties into all of the evil that the World Economic Forum and UN Agenda 2030 are trying to do. So the reason why global, the globalist interests who are running our country, and if people don't believe me, I would challenge them, to go onto the World Economic Forum website, look at all the policy statements, and find one that is not part of a liberal uh, government policy and legislation that they're bringing into force here in Canada. If you can find one, please email it to me, because I've looked and I can't find it. Every single thing that the liberal government brings into force and brings into Canada comes right out of the World Economic Forum. So why? why yeah, so, so why UNDRIP, okay? What is UNDRIP? Well, here's the thing. We're going through a period right now of globalism, okay? So there are interests that, that want to, that there are global interests, and basically these guys, uh, you know, they want to run the world. These guys like Klaus Schwab, uh, Bill Gates, they want to run the world. And uh, the, in order to do that, um, they've got to destroy the hegemony of the Western nation states. And to some degree, it's working. You see the riots happening in France. You see what's happening in Canada, where we're losing faith in our political institutions. Uh, the United States has a venal house plant in the, in the White House right now. Uh, and people are, are, are losing faith. So why UNDRIP? UNDRIP is, is, a, is a Trojan horse. It's a surreptitious way to destroy Canadian sovereignty, the, the, to destroy the sovereignty of the Canadian government to make laws and to, and to run Canada for the benefit of Canadians. Well, how does this happen? Well, if you accept the idea that the Canadian government never had sovereignty over all the lands that are here in Canada, including all the natural resources that are covered by these globalist interests, if you accept that as being true, then what you implicitly do is you say that um, th that this this is open season, that there is no sovereign nation of Canada, and that uh, what happens is this this UNDRIP, this United Nations policy, can be adopt adopted by Indigenous groups in Canada, and they can assert sovereignty, which is a false sovereignty. Actually, the sovereignty that's being ceded 
through UNDRIP is not to Indigenous peoples. It's to the globalists. And that's the truth about UNDRIP. And there are people who disagree with me about it. Uh, and that's fine. You can disagree with me about it. But if you actually read UNDRIP, what it is, it's an attack upon Canadian sovereignty. It says that Canadians do not own this land. The Indigenous peoples of Canada, um, are, are they have the right to be here. They've been here a very long time. And when I say they, I mean, I have Indigenous heritage in, in, in my family. But the idea that we can have a whole bunch of, you know, little petty fiefdoms and, and sovereign nations within Canada and still have a functioning nation is ludicrous. And, and so what UNDRIP really seeks to do is to destroy Canadian sovereignty, seeks to divide us, our house, you know, within our, with, within our own country. Um, you know, in the Bible, it says that, that, that a house divided cannot stand. Abraham Lincoln uh, quoted that during the American Civil War. So what you're seeing with UNDRIP is the importation of this globalist policy. It's part of the whole uh, liberal uh, doublespeak, their whole plan to take over all of Canada and, and really deliver it up to these globalist interests. Uh, so that's an explanation of, of UNDRIP. I can go into how the 1930 uh, agreements tie into that if you like, but I've been talking for a long time. I should probably hand you the conch. Well, I'm, you know what, I, that's fine. I'm good just listening. You Okay. You, so, you, so these 1930 agreements. And you're much yeah. better at it than me. Well, pro people probably heard the news about uh, David Lametti, uh, who is a former mediocre lawyer and, and consequently was given a high cabinet position because those are the only kind of people that Trudeau appoints to high cabinet positions are mediocre people. He was a lawyer of no, of no renown whatsoever. Uh, but he got elected and he was made the justice minister because he's a yes man for Trudeau. And uh, he's a bag man and he does what he's told. And uh, he, he appoints his friends to the bench. Uh, regularly he's been caught doing it. And, uh, and, and essentially is part of the whole corrupt liberal cabal that's, that's running this country into the ground. Anyway, David Lametti, he's the guy who comes out and he says that, oh, there's no history of, of uh, there's no legally uh, recognized uh, private property in Canada, which is absolutely absurd. The whole common law that we got from Britain uh, is, is, is based upon the, the, the fundamental, one of the fundamental pillars is private property in this country. If you read the criminal code, nearly all of the offenses in, in the criminal code come down to some sort of recognition of private property. So everywhere we have private property recognized. But anyway, he comes out and he says that these 1930 transfer agreements, and people should understand that our, the Constitution of Canada grew up sort of slowly. Um, uh, we had in 1867, we had the British North America Act, uh, which made Canada a, a sovereign nation, but still, but still under sort of under the umbrella of the British Commonwealth. And then in 1930, as the Alberta, Saskatchewan, uh, and uh, Manitoba had grown up as provinces, there was an agreement to transfer to them control over natural resources. It's important to note that that predates the discovery of oil here in the, in the late 1940s. That, that transfer agreement probably never would have happened. And of course, uh, the elder Trudeau, uh, the first Jaws, as I like to call him, he, he essentially tried to negate that 1930 agreement through the national energy policy, which nearly bankrupt our province. Um, and of course, we've had all these transfer payments, equalization payments since then. So really, uh, the 1930 transfer agreements have been violated significantly by the federal government already. But, but the point is, 
1982, when the Constitution of Canada was patriated, that is, it was brought it was brought back from Britain because the the BNA Act or the British North America Act was actually a a bill that was passed in the British Parliament. It wasn't a Canadian law. It was a British law that created a, a sovereign Canadian state. When they patriated the Constitution, uh, they set out certain powers in Section 91 and 92 of the Constitution. And under Section 92, the provinces have exclusive authority and control over natural resources. And so really, these 1930 transfer agreements are a bit of a red herring. That they, they, They're obsolete. They were made obsolete when when the province's uh, uh, exclusive jurisdiction over natural resources was enshrined in the constitution. So what Mr. Lametti is doing, he's being very disingenuous and he's pray upon, preying upon the fact that unfortunately most Canadians and even some of our politicians evidently don't know anything about the Canadian constitution, which is a real pity. But but the point is he's saber rattling and uh, and he's, he's revealing that, uh, you know, of course the, the federal liberals have no regard for provincial powers. They have no regard for the rule of law. They have no regard for our constitution. They have no regard for the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Um, they are an authoritarian uh, government intent upon building a totalitarian regime. And yes. they're doing it in every possible way. Not, and uh, not just, important not people, just are, through, people understand that. Not just through this either. I mean, we saw this, uh, we're seeing this right now and specifically with the carbon tax. We challenged the federal government on the, with the carbon tax, and they basically said to us, well, you're right, You constitu constitutionally, you shouldn't have to pay this carbon tax, but you do have to, and we're going to override your rights because climate change. They're using every mechanism they can, whatever they can think of, to try and strip away rights, freedoms, and, uh, and things like that from provinces or individuals in the mm -hmm. name of virtue and safety. Well, here's a note about the carbon tax that uh, will really horrify people listening to this. So I saw some recent data which did a comparison between the number of trees uh, per person in a country. And it turns out that in the United States, there's just under 700 trees for every person, every, every man, woman, child in the United States, a country of 330 million people. So imagine Canada multiplied 10 times, right? terms of population and uh, the, the amount of CO2 production. So just under 700 trees for every American. In Canada, there's over 10,000 trees for every single Canadian. Over 10,000 trees. So, so and, and nowhere in the United States is there any carbon tax. Incidentally, so I did some, yeah, I did and some in China, it's even this. less. China, it's and even less, right? On average, each tree will absorb, I, I believe it's 20 kilograms of CO2 per year. Right. So so what's happening in Can our Canadian trees are, are actually absorbing other countries' CO2. So we should actually, instead of paying a carbon tax, we should be billing other countries for absorbing their CO2 emissions and if that we had a country sense. that was run properly. That would but make course, sense if it was about yeah. that. But it's sure, not. But it's not. Yeah. it's not. No, it's not. And but you know, how do you explain? How do you explain that that uh, you know Canadians pay pay carbon tax and Americans don't? It, it makes no sense. I mean, even if you accept all of the rubbish about how CO two impacts the environment, uh, and of course that's that's not that's not made out scientifically whatsoever. And and you have to. It's a leap of faith, really. 
to imagine that a single penny of the of the carbon tax collected is actually being done to do anything about the environment. As far as I can tell, all that's happening is liberals are awarding lucrative contracts to their friends yes. to build wind farms and solar well, farms. They're getting rich. Yeah. But anyway, that's uh, that's another right. But th that, in, in, in essence, is UNDRIP. It, 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 I, I may sound like an oversimplification, but, but my explanation attempts to put UNDRIP squarely within the, 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 whole, the whole panoply of, of liberal uh, ideology and liberal programs, which are designed to, which are anti-human, anti-Canadian, anti-human flourishing, uh, and really are aimed at destroying our country. Uh, our country's international, international reputation is being destroyed daily with all the constant scandals we have, you know, China manipulating our elections, uh, massive donations to the Trudeau Foundation. I saw a recent uh, graph of the growth of the Trudeau Foundation uh, from 2013 until now, and it's just incredible, astronomical growth. And how, how do you explain that, you know? And of course, the prime minister gets up and he says, well, well, you know, my family, I'm, I'm not connected to the Trudeau Foundation. Well, my, my, I mean, give me a break. Your name's on it, you know, <laughs> and his and brother's accepting donations, you he, know. Every time there's something that he needs to appoint somebody to do, it, it seems to always be a director from the Trudeau Foundation. Like, yeah. oh, we're going to look yeah. into this. Well, we're going to appoint one of the directors yeah. from this foundation, even though I have nothing to do with it. No, we need, mm -hmm. you need to investigate me, your prime minister. I'll appoint one of the directors from the Trudeau Foundation to do it. If, if you want to know, if you want to understand the truth about Justin Trudeau, I would encourage you to um, watch, and there's a lot of video of this, watch his entourage, watch his motorcade. Look at the size and scope and breadth of the people he has driving him around the security they, they even have to play uh, a shell game where they send decoy cars up to the front of hotels or venues where he's supposed to be so that he's so afraid that somebody's going to jump out of a crowd and, and accost him or doing something. He's got, he's got these big hulking guys. Of course, he doesn't want anybody else to have guns, but he's surrounded by armed bodyguards. And, uh, and, and you know, he's ducking in and out of back doors and back alleys. Uh, that tells you everything that you need to know about our prime minister. How, what a, what a frightened uh, little man he is, uh, and he cares nothing about Canadians. He cares absolutely nothing about Canadians. He's a show for these globalist interests, and uh, I, I think he's an. I, I think he's shown he is an enemy to Canada. He's a traitor, and uh, he should. You know, in a in a country that, in the country that I grew up in. Um, he would he would be he would be removed. He would have to resign. But of course, in this country, he doesn't have to resign because uh, the words "right honorable" don't mean anything anymore in this country. He he certainly doesn't understand what they are. Yeah, and I I won't refer to him as right honorable anymore. And I've you know there's been prime ministers in my lifetime that I haven't liked, but I still refer to them as right honorable because I sure. respect the position. In this case, I don't because. As a prime minister, as the leader of Canada, you should be trying to unify the country around truth and bring them to prosperity like, and, and celebrate the achievements that the country makes, not shame them into destroying their way of life and giving up you know, the, the things that we built over the last, well, I guess only a couple hundred years, really. But 
those things are all at risk under this government. And it, it makes me, I don't know if the furious is the right word. I think probably sad is a more accurate word used to describe how it makes me feel watching it happen around me, you know? And, and it seems like he can't do anything that will convince his hardcore loyal followers uh, that he's, he's not keeping the best interest of Canada and priority. Mm -hmm. So now let's, let's go back to UNDRIP for a second. Sure. So the uh, Lametti made some references to UNDRIP and he said something to the effect of uh, Canada's Canada isn't meeting its commitments under UNDRIP fast enough. So what are, I mean, there's a whole slew of things in there. And I guess, folks, if you want to look it up, you can go right on the United Nations website. Mm-hmm. Just Google UNDRIP and, and the very first thing that pops up, you can read it. But what are some of the things in there, Leighton, that, uh, that the UN is really pushing Canada in particular to do? Well, firstly, uh, Canada did not implement UNDRIP. The Liberal government has done it. Uh, Canadians were never asked. We were never asked whether we wanted to. And and actually, um, what the adoption of UNDRIP is, is essentially a, a, a surreptitious, a sneaky constitutional amendment. Because the Canada is a sovereign nation that has a constitution. And it's set up as a federation of of sovereign of sovereign states called provinces, and the only way that the structure of the Canadian Federation can be changed is by agreement b- between those provinces or in accordance with what it says in that constitution. What the Liberal government has has done, and what they've been consistently doing, is they've been importing. Uh, this international ideology, and they've been making these international commitments, and they're they're adopting them into Canadian law, even though they are fundamentally unconstitutional. Un- UNDRIP, UNDRIP is fundamentally contradictory to the Canadian Constitution. The Canadian Constitution has no provision for UNDRIP. There's no provision under our Constitution for the federal government to be able to adopt to adopt an international law treaty or concept into Canadian law that fundamentally restructures confederation and what UNDRIP uh, basically does is it it empowers or or it grants to indigenous groups uh, the ability to be sovereign nations or sovereign states uh, within Canada and within Canada, according to our constitution, the, the, the only sovereign uh, uh, states are the provinces. And we have a structure set up whereby the federal government has certain powers and the provincial government has certain powers. But, but uh, this would give, UNDRIP would give indigenous groups powers over, over lands, over natural resources, uh, over uh, uh, you know, riparian rights, rights to, to water. It's a fundamental restructuring of Canadian Confederation, and it's and actually I should say it's a deconstruction of the Canadian Constitution and the Canadian Federation, and uh, and in my view, um, 
it must be resisted at all events. Uh, Alberta has not adopted UNDRIP, at least as far as I know. I don't think that's a mistake that Jason Kenney made. And I'm very, very hopeful that the Danielle Smith government, if they, if they, God willing, they'll win the election on May 29th, that as part of the Alberta Sovereignty Act, they will resist, they will, they will not adopt UNDRIP. The federal government has no legal authority or jurisdiction to, to impose UNDRIP upon the provinces. It's completely illegal. It's completely unconstitutional. Of course, as I've said before, this federal government doesn't care about any of that. They don't govern according to the Constitution. They don't govern for the benefit of Canadians. And they have no, no uh, respect whatsoever for our history, for our political institutions, or for that matter, for the independence of the, of the judiciary, um, or, or, or even for the integrity of our national elections. Because we know that the Chinese have interfered in the last two federal elections. And we also know that the prime minister and the liberal government knew all about it. We know that in his own writing, uh, that uh, Justin Trudeau, his Papineau writing in Montreal, he accepted hundreds of donations from people outside of his writing and that they were all from China. So uh, uh, th th this, is what, this is what we're dealing with. So this is what UNDRIP is. It's, it's not what it appears to be. It's the weaponization of guilt, uh, which is done a lot in this country to get people to accept something that is essentially a lie. There, there is no sovereignty of Indigenous peoples in Canada. This is a concept that was created by the Supreme Court, uh, and, and it is alien to the Canadian Constitution. It has no foundation whatsoever in the Canadian Constitution, and it has to be resisted at all events. And uh, I would encourage the Alberta government to pass legislation saying that, that, uh, that there's no such thing as Indigenous sovereignty. Um, now, self-determination, that's a different matter. I very much support the ability of Indigenous uh, groups, Indigenous nations to be self-determining. And actually, I was just reading today a story. Uh, I saw an interview, watched an interview of uh, Chief Billy Morin of the Enoch Band. And, uh, you know, he's not talking about UNDRIP. He doesn't care about any of that. You know what he wants? He wants pipelines built so the people who live in his community the people that he leads have jobs and they have food on their table and they have gas in their cars and they can heat their homes. I had a, a, a wonderful man named Dale Swampy who um, for the past 30 years has worked on every single major pipeline project in Canada. And he's done it for the singular purpose of trying to create jobs and wealth and to, to, to raise people in indigenous communities out of poverty in this country and he has watched the federal government has watched the federal government destroy almost every single one of those pipeline uh projects from energy east to keystone xl and uh all and any one of those would have made a much more significant positive impact on those communities than this virtue signaling woke sure. ideology sure so and you know really about, yeah. it was about improving the lives of indigenous folks and elevating them out of poverty we could have been doing that already without mm -hmm. the United Nations. So yeah. I got to point this out, Leighton. Our friend sure. Ron Valiant made a comment, okay. um, and he says, I'm not going to put it up on the screen because it will take up most of the screen. He says, hi, Leighton, your rejection of UNDRIP sounds great, yet when the APP did their damage control Zoom regarding my UNDRIP call-out, you remember that? I do. You said we would take the best parts of UNDRIP for a new Alberta. 
Can't have it yeah. both ways. There's nothing good about Undrip. For reference, here is my video. I would say, Chris, you should watch it this time to see my concerns instead of making a rebuttal video and not having watched it, but instead yeah. reacting to the middle video title. And I got to say, Ron, I am guilty of that because I saw your video titled uh, APP, A Trojan Horse, and, uh, you know, words yeah. matter. And that it, it really pissed me off, and I did watch a little bit of it. Maybe I should have watched more, and I'd be happy to talk to you about it. But I think I remember this. Uh, this situation came after Jeff Rath was speaking in mm -hmm. Stetler. We were there, and he was speaking about uh, the UN and how we could be UN members and take the best part of it, but not have other parts of it. I don't think it was specifically undripped. So maybe do you want to elaborate on that a little later? Yeah. So uh, first of all, I want to thank Ron for his comment. And um, I should tell you that uh, you know, Jeff Rath is a great friend of mine. He is much more knowledgeable on Indigenous law than, than I am. In fact, I don't know anybody who knows more about this area of law. He's been in the Supreme Court of Canada many times and has won really, really important victories for Indigenous people and land claims. Uh, Jeff is a very smart guy, very knowledgeable, and he developed uh, the Indigenous policy for the APP. And I believe it was he who uh, was responding to questions at that time. Uh, the reason why, uh, in talking with Jeff, uh, he thought that UNDRIP should be part of APP is because it was his opinion, and he might be right, that if um, APP turned out to, if it came to fruition, and we had an independent state of Alberta, uh, independent nation of Alberta, whatever you want to call it, that uh, we would not get UN uh, sanction, UN recognition, uh, and would not be recognized as a nation state in order to be a member of the UN without adopting that UNDRIP policy. And um, uh, I know that, uh, that this was uh, uh, something of considerable controversy within APP when I was part of it. I'm not part of it anymore. Uh, Dr. Dennis Modry, I know, uh, disagreed with that. And ultimately, the, the UNDRA policy was removed from the APP because uh, we thought that that essentially for the reasons that I've stated on the program tonight, and and I, and I think Ron is correct when he, when he says this, the adoption of UNDRIP is essentially contradictory to the idea of an independent Alberta. In other words, we cannot have an independent sovereign Alberta and also have UNDRIP. It's basically sucking and blowing at the same time. And as my daddy used to tell me, when you suck and blow at the same time, it comes out your nose. We don't want to do that. So so I agree with Ron. Uh, I don't think we want to have any part of UNDRIP. Uh, and uh, I, I don't think it has any place in Canada. It certainly doesn't have any place in, a, in an independent and free or at least sovereign Alberta. And I think if Alberta is going to continue as part of Canada, uh, it needs to be sovereign. And what I mean by sovereign is that it has to exercise the jurisdiction, the authority that it has under the Constitution to be governed by Albertans for Albertans. Which is a lot and, more uh, than we actually do now. Oh, absolutely. And we're not going to get that with Rachel Notley, folks. I'm sorry. Uh, Rachel Notley is not the leader of her own party. Anybody who thinks that does not understand how the NDP party works. Um, they, are, they, are they are dedicated to founding a socialist state uh, in in Canada, um, and Jagmeet Singh is the leader of the NDP party, not Rachel Notley. Rachel Notley is a placeholder. Jagmeet Singh runs the NDP party top to bottom, and of course, the NDP party does functionally does not exist 
because it is simply a subsidiary of the Liberal Party, and uh, he is a bagman, a yes man for Justin Trudeau. In fact, it's my considered opinion that the NDP, the New Democratic Party nationally, uh, should be deplatformed and should not be permitted to participate in Parliament or even run in elections because they are no longer an independent party. They are part of the part and parcel of the Liberal Party of Canada. That party should be deplatformed, and I, and I think having that party function anywhere in this country at this point, uh, you know, violates the parliament, the representative democracy, and the parliamentary system that was founded in this country by our forefathers and has worked very well for centuries. You know, I I certainly don't disagree, and I remember back in the. Uh, do you remember the Albertans first Patriots uprising? And we, we, I sure do that big no. petition and uh, we were looking into the NDP and calling them out because, you know, back then I, the NDP annoyed me because they had policies that, you know, they seemed to damage economies, but on the other side of the coin, it seemed like, well, maybe they're the only ones that are compassionate and care about healthcare and education, yeah. which of course is not the truth. Um, a lot of things came to light there. And one of the things that came out was, the NDP manifesto, which has been removed off their website. I, I read it at one point. I haven't been able to find it since, but it literally, it reads like, it reads like it was written by Karl Marx. It talks about um, uh, unsustainable things. Like mm -hmm. we can't have individually owned businesses. We can't have private property. Uh, the government has to do all these things for the greater good. And it, if you want to usher in communism into a democracy, Build a party like the NDP that pretends to be there for the people. Jagmeet Singh is always pretending to be the champion for the people. I mean, the emails that I've gotten from him in the last few weeks, they make me, they make my blood boil. He's talking yeah. about, oh, how dare this CEO of Loblaws have this huge salary? I mean, now granted, the guy's got a billion dollar business. You think he's not going to get paid a few million bucks? Of course he is. But this Jagmeet Singh, who is a millionaire himself, vastly separated and disconnected from any type of poverty is chirping about how he's going to save Canadians from entrepreneurs such as the CEO of Loblaws. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely pathetic. And even yeah. worse is that people believe it. And even worse yet is that people will actually throw away, you know, uh, a, a candidate like a conservative candidate or an independent independence candidate or whatever because they don't like 3% of their platform and vote for the NDP out of spite. That's even worse. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, the, if you, if you want, if you want to usher in what the NDP want to see, and that is you, you don't own anything and you're happy, actually you would be miserable. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, maybe UNDRIP is great. And, and this, this communist socialist, regime would be great, but I don't think that's what the majority of Albertans want at all. I agree, you know, and uh, Mr. Singh, um, he talks about the CEO raises, but he's essentially the CEO of his party, such as it is. He's taken four raises since COVID. Four raises since COVID <laughs> on the public purse. This country is going into debt and printing money to pay him. Okay, and, and, and you, yeah. if people want to know if people want to know the truth about the NDP, okay, the, even their name is a lie. They're, they're not a new Democratic Party. Their original name was the Cooperative uh, Commonwealth Federation. And they are built upon 
a, a philosophy, which is called a statement of philosophy called the Regina Manifesto. And it reads just like the Communist Manifesto that was that was created by uh, Marx and Engels. And oh, that's so, what I read. That is. It still exists. The, the and that, that, is the, that is the functional ideology of that party. And uh, socialism, communism is uh, an ideology of envy uh, and of misery. Uh, Churchill called it the ideology of failure. We all starve together, right? Uh, it, it just, At least it just creates misery. What's that? At least then we're equal. Yes. Yeah, we all, yeah, we all starve together. Yeah, we're so equal. Regina, that's why I couldn't find it. It's like uh, it's the Regina Manifesto. It's like the Regina that time Manifesto. When I was a kid and yep. I was looking up Regina in the encyclopedia, and I was so disappointed when I when I found it. <laughs> it's still there, it's the Regina Manifesto, and that is that is what their party is. And when you look at their policies, um, you know, sadly, the the Liberal Party of Canada is even further leftist than the NDP, uh, which is really bizarre. You're quite right. The left performs an important, historically has performed a very important function in, in the political spectrum uh, because, you know, they, they tend to, to come up with policies like, you know, universal public health care and uh, being concerned about the poor. And, and you know, uh, those are good things. But unfortunately, right now, in our political spectrum, there's no middle. Uh, and and uh, even the positions that... Um, that appear to be on the right uh, are actually on the left. I'll give you an example. Uh, Daniel Smith, who's the leader of the of the United Conservative Party, you know, is out is out tweeting about diversity, inclusion, equity, which is which is leftist uh, ideology, um, and and she's out there creating special mortgage rules uh, for Muslims so that uh, that these halal mortgages. Uh, which is creating a special class of mortgage based upon, uh, you know, religion and, and essentially uh, making Alberta law conform with Sharia law. Well, that's that's not conservative thinking whatsoever. That's leftist. That's exactly what Justin Trudeau has done. Justin Trudeau has created a special ministry of Islamophobia and, and his, his government has persecuted Christians for that matter. The Alberta government has persecuted Christians. It's jailed pastors. It's still doing it. Poor, poor Pastor Reimer is still in jail just because he doesn't want to have drag queens uh, perform for little kids in, in libraries. I'm sorry, I, I support Daniel Smith, but that's happening on her watch. Yeah, there's another comment here uh, that Ron made, but I want to point something out. I was watching a, a TikTok that my friend Gerald Huber uh, put up, and he said something that really... It really hit home. He said, it's very interesting and telling that uh, people didn't speak up and fly off the handle about children being groomed by uh, by drag queens in libraries and even churches. Mm -hmm. But they lost their mind when a, a, a trans person was on a can of beer. So the beer and the woke ideology moving into... Beer was more important and more uh, worthy of of fury than the kids were. Yeah, and I th uh, that really uh, that made me stop and think, for sure. Yes. Well, I don't know if I told you, Chris, but I got into a bit of a harangue with the with the trans people up here in. Oh, Cold you Lake. never do that. <laughs> well, I I said the same thing that uh, you know that 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 the Quebec government is saying right now. 
and that is that I just don't think that uh, that these trans uh, that, that these trans shows, these drag shows for kids, should be publicly funded. I don't think that they sh we should permit these shows for children. First of all, because there's absolutely no evidence that it that it does them any good, and there's a lot of reason to think it's bad for them. I don't have anything against drag queens. I think it's an ancient form of, of entertainment and it has its time and its place. But uh, to have these publicly funded, to have tax dollars paid to drag queens uh, to put on these shows, to me, uh, it, it makes absolutely no sense, particularly when the vast majority of the, of, of the taxpayers don't support this. Um, but I got into some trouble here in, in, in Cold Lake because I, I spoke out against this and while I was in City Hall uh, making my presentation, there were some people outside trashing my car. And of course, this is this is the this is the part uh, you know this is the quiet part said out loud is that uh, you know a lot of trans people unfortunately um, are really suffering mentally and emotionally, and uh, they can they they tend to be rather volatile and can be extremely violent, as we saw oh. down in Nashville. In fact, there's been four recent. Uh, you know, uh, mass shootings in the U.S. that have been done by either trans or, or non-binary people. We just saw this this poor uh, swimmer that was chased into into a room and held ransom for three hours when she went to speak at a school in San Francisco. Uh, so, I mean, uh, uh, unfortunately, violence begets violence, and I think that uh, we should all be very concerned about the way this is getting ramped up. The situation in Calgary, the Yodi Gondek law, actually, uh, I actually think that that bylaw was done to protect trans people because they tend to come out and uh, and and pro and and counter protest, and they get very angry and unhinged and violent, and they'll attack peaceful protesters. So I actually think the Calgary bylaw was intended to prevent protesting in order to prevent the counter protesters from showing up. And causing violence, I, th I think that's the truth about that bylaw. Um, and but in any event, that bylaw to me is totally unconstitutional. And I, I'm really astonished that uh, that the Daniel Smith government hasn't hasn't stepped in and said, "Look, you know, you can't create uh, a quasi criminal uh, bylaw which violates the the constitutionally protected right to peaceful protest in Canada." Uh, so I'm I'm rather astonished that 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 this this has been allowed to stand, but of course maybe they're wiser than I than I am because it seems as though the way this is unfolding this is going very very badly for Mayor Gondek. I'm going to put something out there. So you mentioned before about uh, the leftists bringing in some policies and laws like uh, universal basic health or basic, I almost said universal basic income, universal right. of uh, public health care. And uh, things like that. Um, what was another one you mentioned? Uh, helping poor people, those types of things. Sure. And now we're seeing special laws for uh, the alphabet community. I don't know all the letters or symbols, so I. They're I constantly changing. Yeah. But that, that's the reality of it. It's the whatever letters it is, um, and they're pretending they're doing it to be virtuous and to move society into a more enlightened era. I disagree wholeheartedly. Universal public health care was never designed so that people could just um, access health care and get medicine and be healed. We've been doing that for thousands of years. We did it with natural medicine and, and thank goodness for science and, uh, 
and man-made medicines because who wants to have uh, amputation with no pain or anesthesia or whatever. But anyway, let's look at let's look at public health care. Okay, so it's free, right? Well, first of all, it's not free. Nothing's free. Somebody's making money. And in this case, we go see a doctor. The doctor's visit is free. A doctor's visit is about $40 or $60, depending on the length. The doctor writes us a prescription. We go to the pharmacy and we pay three or $400 for a prescription. It's not free. We have an accident. We get picked up by an ambulance and driven to the hospital that's four kilometers away. And we get a bill for $600 in the mail later on. It wasn't free. The, some of the care we receive, we don't pay out of pocket for, but we do pay out of pocket for it in the way of taxes. Now, because it's a free government program, the government administers through organizations like Alberta Health Services, which when left unchecked and unaccountable to the taxpayer, breeds corruption, pays their executives $650,000 per year, gives contracts to pharmaceutical companies for $100 billion of a vaccine, of which $30 billion goes to waste. They spend uh, $150 million on hand sanitizer and surgical masks from China through companies that their friends own, and they get filthy rich over it. And then we get all these things and we throw them in the garbage because we don't use them. It's completely corrupt. Helping the poor. Great idea, right? Yes, it is. If me and you, Leighton, are doing it, if the government's mm -hmm. doing it, they award contracts to people and give them millions and millions of dollars of taxpayer uh, uh, money to help mm -hmm. the poor, and the UCP government did this, then that person builds this company, this corporation to help the poor. They take a huge salary, live in a $5 million mansion while they're billing the taxpayer $220 per person who stays at their publicly funded apartment turned homeless shelter. Now we move into things like, um, oh, where were we at? What was the last one? What did the, I mention? Public health care, the poor, and the last one was the biggest one. I can't remember. Ah, the trans thing. Ah, yes, we're going to promote diverse diversity, inclusion, and equity by creating this specialized group of people that we all have to pussyfoot around and bend the knee to and, and not say anything, you know, that could possibly hurt their feelings because of diversity, inclusion, and equity. This is great because this is how we want to live. Everybody should be treated equal, right? Yes, we should. Now, the government's involved. And what do they do? They put in policies and do things that do nothing but divide. They, they, they single out these groups and say they're being virtuous for it. They create these protests because they're, they're promoting one group over the other. They're not doing something good to enlighten society. They're doing exactly the opposite. And the people, some people, not me, not you, they watch this and they say, oh, my goodness, I have to vote for Justin Trudeau because he marched with drag queens. Are you like to not see what's happening, to not see how these these things are being set up around us so that we fight with each other? It's unreal. And the depth of this conversation about how the government pretends to do something for our benefit. I mean, I thought. I didn't think about this three years ago, but then when I started seeing this, it's for your health, it's for your own good, trust us, do this. I started thinking about other things in the past that were for our own good, and they weren't. Mm -hmm. Using corn to make ethanol for gasoline, to clean up the environment, stop using so much fossil fuel. That was great, right? Because ethanol is clean and it's clear, and we're having less of an impact. It was a lie. 
It was more of an impact. People were made to believe it was good for them. We subsidized it with tax dollars and the politicians' friends got filthy, stinking rich. And almost every government initiative that I think about over the last 20 years that I'm aware of, somebody got rich and it wasn't really to our benefit, but we voted for it because we were made to believe that it was for us. Mm -hmm. And this the, the trans and drag queen thing is no different. It's harming that class of people for sure. Because now there's people literally posting pictures of, of trans women um, who actually wanted to make a better Alberta. Like there's, there's one uh, fella turned woman that I know of who is very smart, dresses like a woman, but that's none of my business, wants to see an independent Alberta because they understand that we're never going to get ahead the way we're at. And this person's picture is plastered on the internet, causing people to hate them because of their choices. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, this is this is the society we live in, and these are the things that distract us from the real issues, like the government funneling our tax dollars to their friends and making us feel virtuous for it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's insane. There's a there's a great book that people should read. It's it was written in 1935. It was by an American man named Albert Nock. It's called Our Enemy, the State. And it talks about and explains exactly what you just said, Chris. It talks about how these elites uh, basically set up the system so that they have control and so it makes money for them and their friends. And But it, the, the essence of the book is that the smaller the government, the bigger the individual. And the less we have government the less we rely upon government to solve problems for us the better i'll give you an example let's say there's a local disaster let's say the fire in fort mcmurray people will, will remember that or, or or the flood that you know the flood that happened in calgary 10 years ago you know um it wasn't government that made the difference there uh when when those sorts of things happen it's your friends and neighbors that get out and do all that it's it's firefighters coming into Fort McMurray from all over the world to help fight that fire. We, we as, as individuals and as families and as communities, we can always do a much better job of solving these problems than yes. government ever can. And, and we have to, I think what, it, what I would like to see in Alberta is a return to that sense of community and cultural values of, of banding together and working together to solve problems, smaller government, bigger individual, focus mm -hmm. on, on families. We can solve a lot of our own problems. We don't need the government sticking their nose in every aspect of our lives. We have a federal government right now that even wants to control what we say on the internet. They even, yeah. they even want to take over the internet. Um, you know, and they're doing it. They're doing it right now. Uh, they want to take away guns so that the government will be on the, the only people who have guns. Um, so, so I think you're you're quite right, and this is this is something that is extremely important when we talk about sovereignty. Um, yes, a sovereign Alberta, but but the individual should be sovereign, and yes. and the individual, and you know, our our prime minister goes around and he keeps saying how his job is to protect us. That's not his job. His job is to is to protect our borders. Mm -hmm. and to to protect our constitution 
to preserve our individual rights and freedoms so that we have the ability to make self-determining decisions and yes. to act out our own destinies. And that's what's being stolen from us. Every little step, that every little inch the government takes from our lives removes our ability uh, to, to decide what our own lives will be. And, yep. uh, and this is very, very saddening and frustrating for those of us who grew up in a Canada that was much different not so long ago. But, you know, what's horrifying is that there are people who haven't been in this country for very long and they don't even know what a Canada without Trudeau at the helm even looks like. You know, a, a, a free and prosperous society unified around the idea of human flourishing can protect itself. If I didn't have to pay 65% of the fruits of my labor to the bureaucrats, to the politicians, to the government, I would be able to better protect myself in the event of a job loss. I would be able to better protect myself in the event of sickness or injury or whatever, because I would have some money in the bank to do that. Canadians don't really have that now. I mean, most Canadians, they're a paycheck or two paychecks away from insolvency. That's the reality, right? right? And the meanwhile, $3 billion, $3 billion was just loaned, loaned to to the government of Ukraine. And, and, oh, and the course. corruption of that government is just now being exposed. $600 million siphoned off by Mr. Zelensky that just that we know about and $8 billion of, of materiel, military materiel that we can't afford to replace is going overseas. Meanwhile, as you say, Canadian families are struggling and, yep. and we don't even have, we don't even, I mean, we're, we're struggling uh, with, with, uh, you know, mass, mass, immigration uh, which is putting tremendous pressures on our infrastructure on our health care on our social welfare programs because a lot of the people who are coming into canada uh, who are refugees be the afghani or syrian or whatever they come to this country and they're not familiar with the culture here most of them can't speak the language many of them don't have marketable skills uh, Trudeau has them has them filling hotels in places like Niagara Falls and Toronto, and we're Which, paying and for and all that. The mayor actually just spoke out about that. That's a, that's starting. That's reaching critical. Uh, um, it has been for a while. Last. It's an untold. It's an untold story, and and uh, you know it, it's it's the same thing that the American that the Democrats are doing in the in the U.S. where they've opened up the southern border because they think that everybody who comes into the country illegally across that southern border is going to be a democrat voter and what the liberals are essentially doing is they're importing they're in, they're importing liberal voters they, that's, have to, that's they don't they, have voters here well the, unfortunately the, these people i mean uh you know canada has its problems but uh you know it's nothing you know compared to what's going on in afghanistan uh you know and and uh you know in places like that and so uh, when when those those people arrive in Canada, they figure, well, this is pretty good. It is compared to where they're from. They're from, but it's it's becoming a shadow of what it was uh, just a few short years ago. Uh, there was a comment that Ron made a little while ago, and uh, you had some stuff to say about policy that you're seeing out of the current government. So let's uh, let's pop this up there. Sure. So Ron says Daniel Smith fully endorses UNDRIP. Okay, so yes. I'm, I'm not aware of that. Maybe you know more about that than I do, Layton. She needs to be I, educated and stopped. Yeah. Link to, uh, yeah. I'm assuming. I was, not, uh, I was not aware of that, but I'm not surprised by it. I'm not at all surprised by it. Unfortunately, um, you know, the, this government, uh, Danielle Smith, uh, you know, she's the head of the, of the UCP, which is supposed to be a conservative party. 
but all of the conservative parties in this country, in fact, around the world, have been drawn to the left. And so a lot of the policies that are, that are being supported and extolled by this government are leftist policies. When you see the amount of money that the UCP is promising to spend on, on public health care, well, you know, and they say, well, this is free. You know, she goes on, she does a press conference and says nobody's going to have to pay for health care. Well, that's not true. The, the people who are, there are fewer and fewer people paying for the health care, and there's more and more people demanding services from it. It's getting harder and harder to, to get a doctor in, in this province. And actually, the Canadian system uh, of, of public, exclusively public health care, has, has been demonstrated for decades to be an abysmal failure. It is bankrupt. If you want to know, if you want to see, how our public health care system failed, just take a look at COVID. Look what happened in COVID, okay? Yeah. That's all you need to look at. And there are other countries around the world that have hybrid systems. In the United States actually is a hybrid system. They have public health care too, but they also have a private system and they use the private system to fund the public one. Yes, we should have universal basic health care for everyone in this province. I totally agree with that. But those people who can pay more uh, should be able to. Let me give you an example. Uh, a few years ago, my father-in-law, who's also one of my very dearest friends in the world, had a bum knee and the knee needed to be replaced. And uh, he was put on a waiting list that would have had him waiting close to 18 months to two years to, to get a knee replacement. Well, I called a, a clinic in Arizona, in Scottsdale, Arizona, just outside of Phoenix, that has a Canadian doctor uh that expatriate canadian doctor all the nurses there are canadian trained nurses so it's basically a canadian clinic operating in scottsdale and we got him down there within a month and he got his new knee and flew him back to canada and all the money that we spent uh to get that that knee could have been spent in alberta driving out now think about this if that clinic were in calgary or lethbridge or edmonton or medicine hat all those nurses would be working and paying taxes here. Uh, that doctor would be pay, would be working and paying taxes here, uh, and all that money, instead of leaving the country, would be would be spent here in Alberta, driving the economy. And there are there there are many ways to fund a public healthcare system by having a private system, uh, which which helps helps to support it. This the same thing is done actually in Alberta with lawyers. It's a little known fact, actually, that lawyers have trust accounts. And there's right now, there's so much money in lawyers' trust accounts uh, that, uh, that this is money that's held in trust for clients, uh, that if you took all that money, uh, it, it would be enough to fund a, you know, a G20 nation. That's how much money there is in the trust accounts. The interest, the interest on those trust accounts is paid to something that, called the Alberta Law Foundation. The Alberta Law Foundation actually funds many uh, you know, public measures, including the entire legal aid system, uh, most of the legal aid system, which incidentally Trudeau essentially refuses to fund. Uh, he, he hasn't increased the funding for legal aid since he became prime minister. Um, but that's an example of how you can have a private system that can fund a public uh, uh, measure that supports people who, are on, who, who cannot afford for example, to hire lawyers or who cannot afford health care. So there's a much better way of doing it 
But nobody's looking at that. All we're doing is we're just doing the same old thing and spending more and more money on healthcare, good money after bad. And, and the reality is in Alberta, we're having fewer and fewer people who are fighting the system and more and more people who are not contributing to the system, but are drawing water from the well. And it's not sustainable, folks. It's simply not sustainable. Uh, and if you want to yeah. know the proof, the proof of that, you know, a couple of months ago, all the premiers were going hat in hand to Mr. Trudeau for money to fund health care. Uh, so th there, there you go. I mean, the system must not be working if we have to go beg to the federal government for money in order to fund the health care system. Uh, you know, exclusively public health care is simply not sustainable. And it's a model that we should get away from. There are much better models that exist throughout the world. And uh, we need to rethink there's a better way to do this, to have a better, you know, better. We, we spend more money on healthcare in Alberta than than many places do in the developed world. And our outcomes are among the worst in the developed world. So there is another narrative out there on this topic, and it's uh, kind of come up a little bit in the comments. And basically, it's people like Jay Meet Singh and even Justin Trudeau, for that matter, they kind of hint at not even hint. And sometimes they just come out right up and say it. That, well, Leighton, you, you make lots of money. So maybe you should just pay more to the government so the government can get better health care for, for poor people. Or um, even, even worse than that is, well, Leighton, that's not fair that you make more money than other people. You should be equal. We should all be mm -hmm. equal. We should have equal outcomes. So mm -hmm. everybody has the same and everybody can access the same things. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, I read a book about this exact thing that happened in a, a land uh, far, far away a long, long time ago. Uh, the book was called The Animal Farm, where mm -hmm. everybody was equal until some animals. Except for the pigs. And the others, except, for right? the, except for the pigs. <laughs> so so what, do you, what, what would you say to the folks who say, well, you know, Leighton, why should you be able to afford uh, private health care? Is, is private health care only for the people that can afford it? It's only for the rich? Or should everybody be able to access private health care? Well, that's a great question. You know, uh, Karl Marx, um, who, who, is the, who is the father of communist ideology, uh, he, he famously wrote, from each according to their ability to each according to their need. And so when you espouse this, when you diversity, inclusion, equity, is simply a restatement of Marxist, of Marxist ideology. And to put it into practical terms, the idea is that, uh, that everybody, no matter how hard, how hard you run, uh, how hard you train in a race, that everybody reaches the finish line, uh, that there, there are no winners and there are no, and there are no losers. And of course, uh, the, problem, the problem with communism is it's, it goes fundamentally against human nature. And um, we have shown, we have shown in the West that a meritocratic system where, where the people who work the hardest, who invest the most in themselves, who, uh, make, who make the most sacrifices, who make the best choices, have the best outcomes. And that really is as it should be, because those people who do that also happen to be the most charitable uh, and uh, they, they they tend to give the most back so if take if you take me for example um, I've been fortunate yes but uh, I've also worked very hard I've built a business I've made sacrifices uh, and and so it's allowed me to get ahead 
we all want to live in a country like that. We all want to live in a, in, in a, in a structure, in a society that is structured so that people are willing to work hard, make the most of their talents and have opportunity, can get ahead and live their dreams. Uh, now, that also places a responsibility on those people who, do, who are successful and who make more money uh, to 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 have a greater obligation to fund things like the healthcare system. I totally agree with that. In fact, a lot of people don't realize this, but um, a very very small percentage, about four percent of the of the people, are paying almost all of ta- all of the taxes, uh, and that's simply the truth. That's true in Canada and the United States and elsewhere. So the people who are doing well are already paying more. They're paying more than their fair share. Uh, much more than their than, than, than their fair share, but you know, to have a society in which there's no opportunity, no incentive to work hard to develop your talents and get ahead. I mean, people need to ask themselves: Is that what is that the sort of society they really want to live in? Is that what they want for their children and their grandchildren? I mean, wouldn't you want to have a son or a granddaughter who could grow up to be an Elon Musk or a Connor McDavid? or a Tiger Woods, uh, I mean, wouldn't you want that? I mean, if we take diversity, inclusion, equity to the nth degree, it actually discriminates against people who are in, you know, who are, who are poverty. It gives them no opportunity to get ahead. It keeps them at a subsistence level. Uh, and we've seen this. This is, this is actually the true story of affirmative action. If people don't believe me, they should read the books of Thomas Sowell who is, uh, is a, a, an economist at, uh, at Stanford. He's a black man who grew up in, in Harlem, worked his way through Harvard, uh, and uh, has written more books after the age of 80 than most people have read. And he says that the single most important factor that has destroyed the life for black people, especially, especially black men in the United States, is affirmative action that came into effect in the 1960s. Because it destroys black families, uh, it takes fathers out of out of homes. Uh, now, more than three quarters of children who are born in the United States are born into homes with no father uh, and, and a fatherless home. You can see the outcomes. I mean, uh, it, it's just incredible. The data speaks for itself. So you see, the 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 you know socialism is still is an ideology of misery. Uh, one final point. I mean, Margaret Thatcher was famous quote famously quoted as saying the problem with socialism is that eventually you run out of other people's money and and what 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 is happening already in Canada is many people who have done very well are simply leaving they they're they're not prepared to stay here and keep paying for everything and having their savings and everything uh, destroyed through carbon taxes and and everything else all the other misery that uh, this government in Ottawa is dreaming up for us so what happens when more and more people, when all the latent greys uh, in Alberta just leave? We need to have a province that's going to attract the best and brightest, the best people, especially young people. We want young people to come here and, and see Alberta as a land of opportunity where they can live out their dreams and they, be, they can become the people they want to be and build business, businesses and be successful and raise their families. Uh, that's the kind of Alberta I certainly want for my children. So I got a couple of questions for you. I agree with you, though. Uh, first off, if you knew, if would you have worked as hard as you did if you knew that when you got past the finish line, 
you wouldn't be any further ahead or have any different life than anybody else around you. And uh, yeah. do you help people across the finish line? I mean, I've heard people, they, unfortunately, well, I mean, fortunately, you're a lawyer, but unfortunately, the optics of lawyers is that, oh, they, they're paid so much money and they just take so much money. And why don't they just do everything for free? So first off, would you have worked as hard as you did to get where you are if you knew that your outcome was going to be the same as everyone else's? And second, well, yeah, what do you do to help people pass the finish line? Well, I, uh, I would say it's a very difficult question to answer. But I would say, firstly, I feel very fortunate that I grew up in Canada at a time when there was still an opportunity uh, to, to, to live out your dreams. Uh, that's, that, that is a, that's an opportunity that, uh, that Justin Trudeau's government, uh, is, is quickly destroying for young people. And I lament that very much. Um, I think the answer to your question is, I think I probably would have made different choices. Um, I, I might've left Alberta. Uh, I, I might've, I probably, if I was a young person right now coming up, let's say if I was in first or second year university, I, I, or if I was coming out of high school, I probably think I probably would be thinking about leaving Canada, trying to get into school in in, in some other place uh, where there was more opportunity. Frankly, in terms of what I do, um, I mean, people know who know me and follow Gray Matter know that uh, that I'm a Christian, and so I live out uh, certain values in terms of charity in my family uh, and, and my business. We we try to be very generous in terms of uh, worthy causes. And, uh, so there's, there's a lot that, that we do. We do through, uh, for example, the Drayton Valley Thunder hockey club does a lot of community work and charity work. Um, and, uh, I have to say that, um, if there's a lawyer out there who's doing more pro bono work than we are, bravo. Um, because we, we've done a lot of it. Uh, we've, we've done a lot of work here, especially over the past few years that, um, you know, we don't, we, we haven't gotten paid for, we're never going to get paid for. Um, and also, uh, you know, my firm has done uh, and still does through over the past uh, 25, 30 years, we've always done legal aid work. And anybody who knows about legal aid knows that, that there's always a pro bono component that's built into that. And um, we're, we're fortunate that at our firm, we have some very compassionate lawyers who feel, who feel very strongly about doing pro bono work. And, uh, and so that's precisely why we got involved with, for example, the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. That's what drew me into this work. I could have done much better uh, if, I, if I hadn't got, gotten sort of drawn into this vortex of fighting COVID and doing all of these things. Um, so, I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not a saint. I'm just one man. I'm doing the best I can. But I'm not unique. I know many people uh, in other professions and uh, in other businesses who are very generous. I know of a man uh, you you told me about of uh, a man from Bentley who donated a lot of his fortune to help other people. Uh, there's a good friend of mine, uh, Lindsay Hag, uh, who's a very successful entrepreneur from Two Hills, um, and uh, he donates extensively to to causes that help other people. Uh, he helps to to fund some of the legal causes that we're involved with. So there are, there are many many great Albertans who are very generous, and I think that is one of the hallmarks of Albertans. I think that's part of what makes our province great. We have a lot of people like that here, and uh, and God willing, they're going to stay. We need them to stay. We need to attract more of them, but we need to have a province 
that is going to attract people um, who want to live in an, envir in an environment uh, where they're free and where they can live out their dreams and pursue them. You know, we want to attack. We want to attract the best and brightest people in this country and indeed from around the world because that's that's what's going to make Alberta uh, great again. Uh, sorry to sound like a MAGA hat, but I mean that that, that is exactly how we're going to have a great province. It's the people that drive the province. And as you Absolutely. go around this country, you recognize what's a, what's different about Alberta because all the provinces are great, but what's different about Alberta is, is, is the people. Uh, I'm convinced of that. I'm not saying we're better than anybody else, but we have our own distinct culture. And part of that culture is sort of, uh, you know, a can-do attitude that we can, we can, we don't need big government sticking their nose in our business. You know, we can do things on our own. We can do them better than the government can. This is an awesome comment. I got to pop this one up here. Thanks, Kendall. As an Eastern Canadian, I'm disgusted that the Canadian government isn't working hard to keep Alberta very strong and supporting the Canadian oil industry to the max. That's well, Kendall, awesome I hope comment. you I hope you move to Alberta because you are exactly the kind of person we want to we want to have in Alberta. My wife is from Wawa, Ontario. Her family is wonderful. There's wonderful people in, in Ontario and other provinces. And you know what? Kendall, if you haven't moved to Alberta yet, please do. We want you here. You're exactly the kind of person we want in Alberta. I agree. And Mirror Alberta is a great place to live. It's beautiful. I went there last summer and, and had a great meal at your restaurant. I remember we did an episode of your show outside there. And mm -hmm. got eaten alive by mosquitoes. It's, it's a great place. It's, yeah, it's the mosquitoes. Yeah, the mosquitoes are a little rough, but you know what? We we sell bug spray at the bus stop, so we, <laughs> we, we, we got you. Get get that plug in there, right? Yeah. Awesome. That's awesome. And it's not on sale in mosquito season. <laughs> I think you okay, were kind well, of give me some free, and and so I mean, it just shows good manure. You I just would pass that bug spray bug spray right over, and I didn't have to pay anything. Yeah, very, no, I'm, very I believe in sharing. I like to help people. Uh, uh, you know, I like I like to lift people up from their mosquito attacks as well. So. Awesome. Okay, awesome. so uh, we are an hour and a half into this already. It doesn't feel like like time flies when you're uh, really giving her. But there's one thing we haven't talked about yet, and it's something I think some people were waiting for, mm -hmm. and that is the class action lawsuit that right. has been filed against Pfizer. So do tell what's happening. Well, it hasn't been filed yet. It's in development. We have the lawsuit. So the draft is actually here on my desk. It's getting very, very close. Um, but uh, what we're doing right now is we are developing the class. We're building the class. We have kind of a soft deadline at the end of April for people to to join and to get, and we're gauging interest. The response has been really incredible. We have over 2,500 people who have expressed interest in joining the suit. Um, that's sad in a way, but you know, it's not surprising when you consider that um, un the death from unknown causes has increased seven times since the vaccines were introduced. Uh, and that's, that's very, very sad. And that, that, you know, as we sit today, Chris, um, unknown causes is the number one cause of death in our province, not COVID, not cancer, not heart disease, but, unknown causes we all know what these unknown causes are it's these vaccines they're causing harm they're causing serious injury paralysis and and death they're destroying lives 
So um, what the plan is to build that class, um, we've just actually uh, reached an agreement with the man who's going to be our representative plaintiff. The representative plaintiff is the person whose name goes on the lawsuit on behalf of all the class members. And this is a great responsibility because, you know, they have to put their face out there. And uh, in this situation, obviously, they're going to take some some slings and arrows. But this gentleman, his name is uh, Dan Hartman. He's from Ontario. Uh, tragically, his son, a uh, healthy young hockey player, uh, suffered a, a life-ending uh, reaction to one dose of, of, uh, of a COVID vaccine and died. And uh, Dan, that happened uh, last year. Dan has agreed to be a representative plaintiff. And uh, he, actually, uh, he actually recently testified in the National Citizens Inquiry and did so beautifully, very compelling. And, uh, and so uh, he's going to be a representative plaintiff. So that was an important piece. We're also building up our, our our team of experts, medical experts. We have some of the top medical minds and scientists in the world who are going to be expert witnesses in the case. And so what we plan to do is to launch the lawsuit probably sometime in, uh, in the month of May, once we put that together. I would re- be most remiss if I didn't recognize the support of Full Steam Ahead uh, and, and Chris Scott for helping us get this off the ground. We could not have done it without them. And also, um, as I said, my friend, uh, Lindsay Hag, who also contributed to help us uh, develop this lawsuit. It's a really big job. We're just in the early stages of it. But if there's anyone out there who's interested in getting involved in the case, they can find out more about it by visiting our website or our Facebook page. There's adverts there explaining what the case is about. One and of the things sorry, go ahead. limited to Alberta. That's right. Uh, uh, it's it's national. Um, one of the things that we're considering right now, we're not sure if we're going to go ahead and um, if we're going to just sue the government of Canada or if we're also going to sue the pharmaceutical companies. Um, I'm, I'm actually trying to get my hands on the indemnity agreement. Uh, we're waiting for the release of that. Uh, that's that's being promised the indemnity agreement between the Canadian government and the pharmaceutical companies, which is essentially declared open season on uh, on on Canadians in terms of um, releasing or indemnifying or saving the pharmaceutical companies from harm uh, or the risk of being sued by consumers. So that's that's one sort of a special area of of uh, of of expertise that we're looking at right now. Um, I have brought into the fold my good friend, Jeffrey Rath, who has a lot of experience with cases of this kind. He's going to be helping us with it. Um, and I'm also collaborating with some of the top lawyers, COVID lawyers in Canada who are helping us to develop uh, this suit. But it's coming, it's coming very soon. Uh, we're also developing a lawsuit on behalf of people who refused the vaccinations, but who suffered various forms of discrimination and harm Yes. as a result of the unvaccinated and we we've had we've had a, a, a similar response uh to that particular advertisement so that is for people who for example uh you know couldn't travel or or who suffered uh you know um intentional infliction of of uh mental suffering because they had to listen to uh justin trudeau call them all kinds of names or who uh, were ineligible for employment insurance because the federal government 
created a special class uh, of, of people who are dismissed from their employment and who are ineligible from uh, receiving a statutory right, which is a statutory benefit, which is employment insurance, simply because they refuse to take into their bodies an experimental drug that harms and kills that is now the number one cause of death in Alberta. So that's what's happening with those lawsuits. We're we have some other ones in development as well, but that that one is also advertised. So if people are interested in that one, they can also check out the advertisement uh, that's on our firm Facebook page, uh, oh, and are also on our website. website. Mm -hmm. So it's G, it's uh, Great Wolf Spencer LLP, uh, GWSLP.ca, and also on our Facebook page, you'll find those those advertisements and uh, we have wonderful people here who receive your your questions and your comments uh, so so um, anyone who, who has interest in that or also anyone who is interested in helping us out uh, you know and I've heard some from some incredible people who have come forward to, to help us uh, and offered to volunteer with helping us carry on this case because um, it really, it's a huge endeavor. We expect it's going to be probably a 10 year journey or more. And uh, so part of the part of the problem that we face is, you know, trying to build a war chest uh, to try because we're we're literally suing people, uh, you know, a government that can print money, that can print its own money, use use our, our tax dollars against us. And uh, we've seen that they'll do this unscrupulously. You know, uh, so, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a big job, but we're up to it. And, uh, you know, we're going to be bringing that forward probably, as I said, filing it probably sometime in the month of May. How many people do you employ at your firm? Lynn? We're a firm of uh, about a, a dozen lawyers and students. We're hiring more people. We're contracting more people to assist us. And as I said, we're collaborating with, uh, other COVID lawyers throughout the country to assist us with this case. Uh, the big thing is we brought on Jeff Rath uh, to sort of be co-counsel co because, uh, you know, he has so much experience with going up to the Supreme Court of Canada and uh, all of his experience with big land claims um, is, is just going to be invaluable in terms of bringing this case forward. Um, but, uh, you know, really what it's going to take is it's going to take a group of very committed people uh, you know, to come forward and and uh, and be willing to 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 sort of um, dig in and be undaunted uh, because, uh, you know, the government has uh, a lot of the government of Canada has a lot of money, a lot of power, uh, a lot of influence over people's lives. And and, um, you know, they have the ability to to delay things and, uh, you know, draw things out. That's that's going to be a major hurdle that we're going to have to overcome when they're they're going to fight a war of attrition uh, that is aimed at, uh, you know, exhausting our resources so that we cannot continue fighting. So, um, yeah, so when the, people when people say things like, well, Leighton, if you really believed in this, you would just do it for free. What they're mm -hmm. really saying without knowing it is you should pay for all of the people in your firm who you have on staff uh, out of your own pocket to do th these things. And I don't agree with that. I think that you're doing work and you should be getting paid um, as everybody should. And the nice thing about this is the, the reality is that a poor person or even a middle income person cannot scrape together a million bucks to help fund something like this. 
It's just not possible. I mean, there are people in Alberta that could write that kind of check um, mm -hmm. and not even miss it. But unfortunately, they tend to not get involved in this as much as people from lower incomes. Mm -hmm. However, a million poor or middle income people can give a dollar and turn something like this into like they could build a war chest. No problem. Mm -hmm. And I know that to be true uh, because people have done that with uh, supporting me in my, with my legal fees as well. Right. Mm -hmm. So what, what kind of comment do you have for that? Why, why don't you just do it all for free? Well, I'd love to be able to, and there is a portion of it that is pro bono. And I should say the way we've structured this, we're going to be deferring most of our fees in what's called a contingent fee arrangement. Uh, but what the, the reality is, uh, this type of litigation is very, very expensive. And we simply can't afford to, to fund this. If we did that, then we would be taking on all the risk and all the expense of this lawsuit. Uh, and, uh, and we simply can't do it. In fact, um, if we did that, it would import so much risk that, that essentially it would kill the lawsuit itself. Um, so what we need is we need people who are going to come on and have some skin in the game. And so what we're asking is uh, from people is a one-time contribution. Uh, and we've suggested about $1,000. If you can't afford that, uh, you can pay less. But the idea is to have a one-time contribution, with, which would allow the lawsuit to go forward uh and and would crowdfund it but then at the end what we're planning to do is to is to then reimburse that initial contribution out of the out of the proceeds whatever is is recovered so in other words um you know we, we will use uh that crowdfunding to to pay our costs of carrying the force the, the case forward but um but then what we'll do is when we you know in in, in the fullness of time god willing we will settle or we'll win and we'll collect uh, then what we'll do is we'll reimburse that initial contribution back to the people who bought in and, and paid that initial uh, contribution. This is a not going to be an inexpensive venture, is it? No, it's going to take millions of dollars. There's no question about it. Um, you know, there's going to be multiple motions. And uh, I mean, we have to pay experts. Uh, there's going to be travel involved. We have to expect that the case is going to carry on for many years through appellate courts. It, it may even go all the way up to the Supreme Court of Canada. Who knows? Um, you know, if you think, for example, of the big tobacco uh, class action or even the Indian residential schools class action, um, you know, uh, these 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 types of cases tend to take years uh, to to carry on, and and uh, you know, it's not as simple. It's not a simple endeavor. And uh, unfortunately, you know, our litigation system is a pay to play. It's not, mm -hmm. you can't do it for free. You can't win on your own. You, like I know that from personal experience, unless you have a group of people standing with you and, and basically propping you up and helping mm -hmm. you, you cannot win against the system. The system is a juggernaut. And as a matter of fact, you know, my, uh, the, the, the man that arrested me, on my protest day, his name was Sergeant Bruce Holiday. Uh, he has since passed away. Mm -hmm. um, he sat down with me in the beginning of all of this, and he he actually put his arm around me. He said, "You know what, Chris? I admire your tenacity and standing up for yourself, but you don't do this. It will destroy you. You cannot win against the government. You can't mm -hmm. win with these guys." That's what he told me. And I said, I turned to him. I said, "Well, hold my beer, Bruce." <laughs> um, 
but I, well, thank God you didn't listen to him because well, we I need people who don't I, listen to that stuff. You know? Yes, uh, he was right though. I can't win, but we can win. We can yes. do anything. I can't yes. accomplish it, but we can do it. And that's the same mm -hmm. with this this type of thing. And yes, it's unfortunate that it costs money. Things cost money, and in a in a in a world where we have a Netflix membership and a uh, Disney Plus and a D DAZN and Sportsnet. Now we pay all these monthly memberships. I think we can afford to do something that's going to get some folks some remedy who desperately need it. So, well, somebody, I mean, somebody has to take this case on. And uh, I'm really not sure why nobody else has done it yet. Uh, maybe I'm just crazy to do it, but I, it has to be done. I've always known it had to be done. Uh, and I do think that uh, once the first lawsuit goes off, I think there's going to be, I think there's going to be an avalanche of them. I mean, it's already happening in, in the United States. Last month, actually in Atlanta, there was the first convention of its kind that I've ever heard of. It was a convention for lawyers in COVID litigation. And there's a lawyer from Quebec, a lady that I was on a Zoom call with last night, and she went down there to that convention and she came back so inspired because she told me in the United States, they're actually winning cases and they're developing, uh, you know, techniques uh, to, to win these cases. And, uh, you know, I expect that uh, in Canada, we're going to have similar results. We haven't had a lot of great results yet. But uh, my sense is that that is going to that is going to change that, that 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 tide is going to turn. But I mean, it takes we have to fight. It's not going to happen on its own. We can't just sort of you know you can't sit in your house and expect your garden to grow outside. You got to go out and you got to till that thing. You got to fertilize. You got to plant the seeds. You got to go out and kill the weeds. You got to you know get yeah, rid of the bugs. Yeah. You know you know you choose your analogy. You you, you know you've got to build it. You've got to make it happen. It's not going to happen on its own. Well, we're certainly going to make it happen, um, yeah. which actually brings up another thing that I wanted to talk about. So you mentioned Full Steam Ahead helping mm. uh, fund this through the generous donation of uh, a friend of ours from Bentley, who has also since passed. Um, with the restaurant and, you know, trying to fight for my own survival, I haven't had much time to do anything with Full Steam Ahead. As a matter of fact, I've, I haven't really done anything this year. And what I've realized is that... Um, there's so many things to do. It might be prudent and advisable for me to give up my position with full steam ahead to somebody who has more time to do that. And, you know, mm. I've been, I've been humming and hawing and talking to Carrie about this, but uh, we're, we want to fire this back up because there's a lot of good people that really want to help and they really want to do something. The, the vehicle is there to do some fundraising, do some advertising, get some media on this kind of thing. And I think if, uh, you know, if you're out there and you're you want to get involved in a more, you know, a more uh, what's the word, a more disciplined way, uh, maybe consider joining that and and applying for a board position. Uh, we need some people that have some time, um, some some knowledge, and some tenacity that really want to help support these kind of initiatives. So. Uh, you know, check out the website and I'm going to talk to Carrie. We'll try and get some info up there and get something happening in the next little while because uh, I think it's important that we move on this and make it happen. Well, I, I hope you don't resign. You know, that's 
sort of like imagining the Oilers without McDavid. Well, not really, because I can still do the advocacy work that I believe in, uh, but there can be someone that has more time that they can commit to the administrative aspects of uh, a not-for-profit organization. Mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm. I'm I'm more than happy to promote things and and do everything I can, get out in front of crowds and and speak to people and and that kind of thing. But the reality is, I mean, I'm I'm hanging on by a thread at my business. I have to. I, I work between seventy and eighty hours a week there, and it doesn't leave me enough time to be effective in the business part of the organization. So, I know there's somebody out there that's really good at those types of things and would support the initiative that we've started. So, uh, you know, everything happens for a reason, and I think it would be better that way. So, but we'll see. Who knows? Maybe I'll win the lottery next week. Let's hope. I'd love to be independently wealthy and just spend the rest of my life uh, being a philanthropist and helping people and traveling around and doing things like that. But uh, that's, you know, that's not in the cards for me. I'm destined to live a life of work. And that's good because I like to work. Good. Speaking of work, um, it's 10 o'clock and I need to wrap this up because I believe okay. we're doing, there's, I think I might've missed it already, but we're doing an Easter egg hunt tonight because of course oh, I, missed, wonderful. Like, I missed a lot of things. Um, that's why my son was here. He wanted to tell me we're going to. Oh, okay. So if there's anything else that you want to uh, bring up real quick or mention. No, I I just want to encourage people to get out and vote. This is probably the most important election in the history of our province on May the 29th. We simply cannot have the, the Notley gang take over this province. If we do, uh, essentially, uh, we'll have uh, we'll lose all of our all of our prosperity here, uh, all of our freedom. Uh, we need we need uh, a situation in Alberta where we have a government that is at least going to stand up to Ottawa and to exercise some degree of sovereignty. Um, and, and, uh, you know, Danielle Smith, uh, you know, you can criticize her if you like, you know, you're never going to find any politician at any time with whom you totally agree on every issue. And, uh, I do, su- I don't agree with Danielle Smith on every single issue, but I do support her and I, and I, and I support, the, the UCP government, I think they are the best, the best option for Alberta at this time. Uh, in fact, they're the only option for Alberta at this time because, as I said, the NDP are are anti-human. They're anti-human flourishing, uh, and they're anti-Alberta. Um, they mm-hmm. they their their policies are simply inconsistent with with human with human flourishing, and with uh, helping us to live freely and to live out our dreams. And so uh, uh, I hope that nobody listening to this is going to support the NDP, but it is really, really important that you get out and vote or, and get involved in the election, you know, as a scrutineer, as somebody who's counting votes. Um, I just want to mention that uh, the chief electoral officer recently, in response to a letter that I wrote on behalf of some concerned citizens, indicated that these voting machines, which, again, the NDP brought in, uh, pursuant to the regulations that they passed in December of 2017 and which were used in the Calgary in the last Calgary municipal election of 2021. Um, they are not going to be used. The premier has said they're not going to be used on, uh, on election day, which is good news 
because we really don't need them in Alberta. But it appears that the voting machines are going to be used in, in some advanced polling. There is risk of these machines spoiling ballots. It is the law in Alberta that all ballots are are preserved for at least 90 days after the election so that there can be recounts. But um, I just want to assure people that, uh, you know, many are concerned that, you know, there might be some cheating and that these voting machines might cause something to happen in Alberta, what, like what happened in the 2020 election in the United States, the presidential election. I, I don't think that because of the precautions that have been taken, I don't think that that's possible. But the best way to prevent that is to actually get out and vote. If you have a low voter voter turnout, you get results like you had in Calgary in 2021. They, I think the voter turnout at that time was un, was uh, under 30% of eligible voters showed up. And when you don't show up to vote, that's that's when you get a Yodi Gondek. So mm -hmm. if you, you know, uh, the best thing you can do to preserve our democracy um, and, and our electoral system and the integrity of it is to get out and vote. So just I encourage people just to take the time to do it and make sure they do it. This election is so important for the future of our province. As I said, the UCP platform, it's not ideal, but uh, this is a situation where we have such a clear alternative, you know, between, uh, you know, a, a party that is going to be is going to do some good things for Alberta and a party that has no interest in doing anything for Alberta that's totally committed to globalist ideology uh, and, and really wants to turn Alberta into uh, in, in, into a, a state that is uh, is meant to to simply support uh, globalist agendas. We're sitting on the fourth largest reserves of uh, of oil and gas in the world, and these globalists know it, and they want it, folks. Alberta is a really really important battleground for them. We're on the global stage. The world is looking at Alberta right now and and following this election. Don't kid yourself. Uh, the Democratic National Congress, in the United States donated, made a substantial donation to the NDP party uh, and, and towards this election, which is, I think, is illegal foreign interference in our elections. So that gives you an idea of how important this Alberta election is uh, to the left. They they want to take this over. They had their way for four years. They don't like the, what, what happened here when the big loss that they took with Jason Kenney. And and they want they want the reins of power back. They want it bad. They've they've basically you know have owned Edmonton because Edmonton is a government town. But I'm hearing that they're making roads in Calgary, which is really frightening. Uh, but uh, in the rural, I don't know if they if the NDP has much of a foothold. But of course, uh, you know it's going to come down obviously obviously to Edmonton, Calgary. We so we need people to get out and vote and uh, prevent the NDP from taking over this province because if they do boy we're really in some hot soup yeah and i would add to that uh don't don't think that just voting you know once every four years is democracy democracy is every day of the year you can get involved in uh, a number of things your local constituency association even your municipal council meetings you can you can be involved and use your voice every day of the year it doesn't have to be just at the at the election um you know, in your area, you may have a candidate that you really don't want to vote for. Um, and we, we got some tough choices coming up. But one interesting thing that's happening in Alberta is there's a lot of independents popping up. And mm -hmm. some of these independent candidates or intended independent candidates 
are mostly aligned with the UCP and would, uh, you know, would support them in most of their issues. However, their voices would balance them out. And we, we could be looking at a scenario similar to what British Columbia is experiencing right now, where uh, a party of that holds two seats basically calls the shots because the minority government doesn't have enough votes without them. So we wouldn't might that be something? Really, yeah, we might see something really interesting where one or two or three very uh, um, strong, conservative valued individuals hold the balance of power in a minority government. And we can like we have the potential here to change the world. So democracy in action. Yeah, democracy in action. Sometimes it just uh, sometimes it's disturbing and sometimes it makes us grin ear to ear. (laughs) Well, thanks for having me on the show tonight, Chris. It's been a pleasure as always. Yeah, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. Really enjoy. I miss Carrie. You know, Carrie's great, but. It was Everybody nice to have this one on one with one on one with you. You know, it was nice. I even wore, uh, oops, I even wore the shirt that Carrie and I are supposed to wear. To oh, match. nice. I've got my gray matter, my gray matter hoodie on. So. Oh, there you go. Oh, speaking of gray matter, uh, I heard that you're now on a syndicated network. Yes, uh, incredibly, incredibly. Some people came along and they saw some value in this little podcast I was doing. Chris has been on it, by the way. And uh, the wonderful people at the Miracle Channel came along and they agreed to uh, become the exclusive broadcaster and producer of it. Um, And uh, they've just done an incredible job. I can't say enough good things about them uh, in terms of the production values and everything that uh, they brought to the show. Uh, We've had uh, just some incredible guests recently. I recently interviewed Dr. William Mackis, uh, who's a courageous doctor, Francis Woodison, uh, who is a, an academic who has been uh, fighting against the woke. Uh, and, uh, you know, Derek Kinney is a, is a man from, uh, from Texas who has been on Fox News and CNBC. So Dr. Robert Malone has been on, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. So a lot of really great material there. And uh, we've also been publishing or, or uh, producing a series of essays uh, that are part of my book. I've actually written a book, Chris. Uh, it's called... Um, Leftist Lies, Laws, and Liberties. It's a book of 36 essays. It's going to come out sometime this year. Uh, And uh, so I'm doing some video exposés of those essays uh, on the website. So people can find it at return to reason uh, slash gray matter. And and you'll find it, uh, the podcast, anywhere where you find podcasts. You know, we're on Rumble, Spotify. We're back on YouTube now. I got kicked off, but somehow they let us back on. Uh, so yeah, anywhere you watch podcasts, you can find it. And, uh, the, the support for it is, is really grown. I'm, I'm so grateful for that. I'm really pleased that people are, are tuning in and our audience is growing, uh, because, uh, like all of us in this space, you know, it's, it's hard to find, it's hard to find, uh, truth telling news and information, uh, because of what's on the mass media. And so all of us who are podcasting we're all trying to do the same thing i was recently on the sean newman podcast which is excellent and uh you know uh he uh we were talking about podcasting in this in this sense he's been doing it much longer than i have he's been at it about five years uh but you know we we talked about you know really the good news that podcasting is trying to bring to people and of course the federal government legislatively they're trying to have the crt shut us crtc shut us all down so it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. But for as long as we can keep producing gray matter and putting it out there, we're going to keep doing it. 
Right on. Well, I'm happy that you're doing it. And I'm sure there's uh, a lot of other people that are as well. So thank you for doing that. We know that there's a, you probably have pretty busy days as a lawyer in a firm of that size and caliber. And uh, to take your time and do something like that, kudos to you. Thank you. Oh, now I better go take some time uh, okay. if I still can and uh, hang out with my son a little bit. So. All right. Happy Easter. And you as well, Leighton. Thank you very much. And uh, let's talk soon and do some interesting things. And thanks to everyone for listening tonight. Appreciate it. Thanks, folks. Good night.